You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and we pray that you would send your spirit to speak through Mike Weeks, uh, that his words might be your words, and that uh, we uh, might have our souls set ablaze by your Holy Spirit, that we might be given over uh, to gospel work uh, in uh, our homes, in our cities, uh, and very much uh, to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I do need to say thank you to you, Andrew, for teeing up the uh, topic this morning of mission. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to clarify some things from last week. This whole process is me really just clarifying for- thoughts and trying to articulate better the gospel. So I'm doing a doctor of ministry, for those who weren't la- here last week, I'm doing a doctor of ministry on what is the gospel and how does it apply to all of our life. Uh, and I'm hoping to get better at preaching and teaching the gospel that I might enrich you guys better. Because the gospel is central to everything that we do and it determines who we are as Christians and what we think the Christian life is all about. Uh, So last week I argued that the gospel is the good news of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and which brings salvation for all those who believe. But I wanted to clarify some things about what I said. Basically I want to talk about the way that the gospel is a brings us into a cycle of grace. For we're saved by grace through faith, and this faith is not alone, but it's accompanied by works which flow out and bear witness to our new identities. So we're saved by grace and free to do good works. However, because we live in this time of now but not yet, the kingdom has been inaugurated, established, but we don't yet live in the reality of the end times. We live in this reality that we're saved by grace, but we continue to live in sin. Sin still remains within us. So therefore, we continually need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the good news that we've been saved by grace. So as we live out our faith and as we make mistakes, as we'll inevitably do, when we sin, God's grace abounds nevertheless. Because he's already paid the price for all our sin, all our mistakes. We don't need to feel guilty for when we uh, make mistakes, when we don't do things perfectly, because our standing before God is based not on what we do, but who we are in Christ. This means that we are free to love others more and more. We aren't weighed down by the burden of trying to do everything perfectly, but we're free just to get on doing good, loving God and loving others. I need to be reminded of this as I talk to you now, because I want to make sure that I'm saying every word perfectly so that you understand that I'm a great teacher (laughs) and that so you know the gospel well. But it's not about me. It's not about who I am or what I say, but it's about what Christ has done and who he is. Also, I want to say through the Spirit's transforming work in our life, our heart is changed and conformed more and more to God's heart. And this gives us a bigger vision of who God is and his love for us. His love for us in Christ as he reveals more and more of just how much he loves us by his grace. By faith we grow deeper in our relationship with God and knowledge of his love for us in Christ. And our actions 
flow out of this faith, out of this love that He has for us and that we grow in with Him. See, our actions are only ever a response to the love that He has for us in Jesus Christ. With that being said, I want to talk about some of the implications of how the good news of Jesus Christ changes this world and our life. And so the first thing I want to focus on today is the gospel and our mission. Why would I talk about mission? Well, last week I explained the importance of understanding the gospel as news. That it's important to see this as something that we receive. It's not something that we do, but it's news about what God has done. It doesn't come with a command or any uh, kind of anything that we need to do. The gospel is the grand announcement of what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. When we understand the gospel in this way, when we're captured by this vision of God and his love for the world in Jesus, this love moves us, it compels us uh, to love others, to share this good news with others. If it really is good news, then everyone should hear it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. In fact, everyone needs to hear this good news, because everyone has the sin problem that they need to be set free from by the gospel. And through the Spirit's transforming work in their heart, our love for God and our love for others motivates us to share this gospel with them so that God might be glorified and that they too might be saved. For this is why Jesus came. Mission is a strange word, I know. Mission, it's used in all sorts of different ways. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word mission. Maybe Brother Brian mission, Jimmy Hale mission, global missions. Maybe you think of your friends overseas sharing the gospel. Maybe you think of our mission partners or our outreach services. Maybe you think of short-term mission. Maybe you think of Mission Impossible, the movies, or military missions. Mission is used in a variety of different ways. I wonder if anyone can tell me what the Advent's mission is. What our, more importantly, what our affirmation of purpose is, which is what we, which our mission, mission statement. Does anyone know what it is, apart from the two standing at the back, three standing at the back? Ken might know. To preach the gospel. Yeah, that's part of it. In Birmingham. That's a commentary on it. The, yeah, good vestryman, good warden. I'll read it out for you. We exist to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Ken, and to make disciples wherever God has placed us, Birmingham. That is our mission. That's our, that's our affirmation of purpose, why we exist. So when we talk about mission, we're talking about the task that we're sent out to do. Just like a soldier, we're sent out into this world to do a job, to do a task. And so in Matthew 28, we see what our king has assigned our task to be. So Matthew 28 reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this passage is commonly called the Great Commission. and It describes our mission as twofold, to go and to make. God is in the business of sending and making, as we heard this morning. Just as he sent his son into this world to make a people for himself, so we are sent into this world to make disciples of all nations. The triune God is eternally a commissional God. The mission of the Father was sending of the Son. The mission of the Son is the incarnation and to reveal the life of the Father. The Spirit's mission is to bear witness to the Son through the, through the church. Notice Jesus' first statement, though. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a statement of his authority. He is Lord of all. Through the resurrection, Jesus is vindicated and proven to be the Messiah, the Christ, the King. He's appointed King of God's kingdom and Lord over all things, over all creation. And so our mission is to witness to this good news, to announce that Jesus has been appointed Lord of all and has been given authority over all things, that through his death and resurrection he has been victorious over sin and death, that times of renewal and refreshing have come when the thirsty and hungry can come and eat and drink free of charge and be satisfied. Our mission is one of evangelism, of gospelizing. We preach and tell people the gospel. We see this relationship between kingdom work and witness uh, in the book of Acts. Luke writes in Acts 1, to 1, 6 to 8, Then they, the disciples, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This passage gets played out through the book of Acts as we see the word of God advancing from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to throughout all the world. It's interesting to see what the apostles teach and preach throughout the book of Acts. They've just been given in Matthew 28 the Great Commission. God tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. And then in the book of Acts, we see them going out. And what do they do? They preach Christ and Him crucified. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't talk much about the Sermon on the Mount or His miracles or His commands to give up everything. But they talk on and on about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason for this is because their mission and our mission is extricably linked to Jesus' mission. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So what was Jesus' mission? There's a few passages on your sheet to show you just a glimpse of what his mission is, really. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Preaching the gospel, that is. I have come to this world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. 
John 12, 46. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' mission was one of salvation. He was sent in this world to save sinners. And our mission is to pronounce that Jesus has accomplished his mission by his death and resurrection. The gospel stands at the center of everything that Jesus came to do and teach. Without the gospel, Jesus is just another motivational speaker or you know, moral teacher. Without the gospel, there is no salvation. There is no victory over sin and death. Now, why am I talking to you about mission? Well, it's important to understand what mission is because there's lots of good things that can distract us from our mission. There's lots of things that people want to call mission that aren't a part of this core task. In modern times, there's a movement to make mission include things like environmental stewardship or social, social justice or mercy ministries. Mission has become incarnational with missional churches. It has become professionalized as a seminary course or romanticized as going to the smallest people group you can find as far away as possible. But I want to present to you, and what I'm presenting today, is a very narrow view of mission because we need to set our priorities right. Last week I kind of hinted to this, and if you're very astute, and I commend you if you are, you may have picked up on the fact that I have a narrow and a broad sense of the gospel. What I mean by that is that there's a kind of narrowing down of the gospel into Jesus' death and resurrection. But there's a broad sense of the gospel in that it's about the, res- the restoration and renewal of all things. But we can't kind of mix these things up because the narrow sense of the gospel is the catalyst for the broad sense of the gospel. That is, the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection is the thing that sets off the restoration of all things. And it's the only way that all things can be reconciled and renewed. So we need to understand the relationship between the narrow and the broad sense. It's the same with mission. All these things of uh, mercy ministry and social justice and uh, whatever else I was saying, incarnational mission, all these things are good things, but they need to flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, out of his death and resurrection, and out of our preaching people the good news of their forgiveness of sins. It's important to understand this because it's only through the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that anyone can be saved, anyone can be healed. None of our our social policies, our political policies, any of our good works are going to do anything to save anyone. It's only by the gospel of Jesus Christ that people are restored and renewed. The work of bringing in the kingdom is not our work. The work of renewal and redemption is not our work. It's ultimately God's work. Our part is as witnesses to the work that God is doing in this world, of proclaiming and disciple-making. As Canon Smalley says, I'm not sure if that's how he says his name, but you'll forgive me. He says, we are proclaimers, not producers. We don't need to build the kingdom here on earth. It has been established in Christ's resurrection and ascension. We are to be heralds who announce it, who announce Christ's victory. We don't need to achieve it ourselves. Now, what I'm not saying 
is that we should give up caring for the poor or that evangelism is the only thing that this church does or that you do or that everyone should go to the remotest location they can find, sharing the gospel with unreached people groups or that we should become a monastery seeking to avoid the wickedness of this world and just be focusing on the gospel. I'm not saying that we should give up loving our neighbours. But what I am saying is that we need to get our priorities straight. The gospel and the proclamation of it is the greatest need that the world has. And everything else should flow out of the gospel and the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. That is, our actions, our love and good deeds flow out of the faith that we have in the freeing power of the gospel. The only way we can change the world, as I said, the only way we can begin to love God and others is through the proclamation of the gospel, which gives our dead and sinful hearts life again. I was chatting to a friend at Beeson about my class, and he was telling me a story about his friend who uh, was in the Brother Brian program. My friend says, I was speaking with a man about a week ago who was formerly in the program at Brother Brian Mission. He said to me, I just need to get off the streets. I just need to get a job so that I'll stop drinking. And my friend asked this man, whom he considers a friend, Bob, not his real name, Bob, how is your prayer life? During this entire cycle of sobriety, relapse, sobriety and relapse, have you ever been a consistent, involved member at church? Now my friend goes on and says, I ask these questions not because a more disciplined a more disciplined prayer life, a more disciplined prayer life, I still can't get it, or a more frequent church attendance will in themselves save a man from alcohol addiction or guarantee a closer relationship with God. It's not about the prayer life or the church, but they are necessary pieces to expressions of a relationship with God. So my friend said, Bob, just last fall you had a good setup. You had an apartment, you had a decent job, You were a fine worker when you were sober. But the housing did not keep you from drinking. The job did not keep you from drinking. And it hasn't yet. And it won't in the future. Your issue is deeper than alcohol addiction and only Jesus can address the real issues in your life. Only a relationship with Christ will give you the help that you need. Bob faces many problems in this life. But his main problem is not socioeconomic. It's not his housing problem, it's not his addiction problem, it's his heart problem, that he has a heart full of sin, corrupted, that needs to be set free. He's in a broken relationship with God that needs to be restored. And this broken relationship causes him to find satisfaction in anything else other than God, in everything of this world. But the good news is that even though Bob doesn't deserve it, God in his grace and mercy offers reconciliation to him freely as a gift through Jesus Christ. Now, Bob's life won't be perfect straight away. He won't be free from his addiction straight away, though that does happen to some people. But through his salvation, through his heart being renewed and restored, he will no longer seek the things of this world. I'm not saying he does that immediately, but his heart will long for God rather than for the things of this world. And he will find satisfaction in him alone, the only one who does truly satisfy us. And this is the good news of God's grace, that even though we don't deserve it, God reconciles him to himself by his son.
See, the goal of these classes is that you would understand that the gospel frees us from the guilt of doing, from the religion of trying too hard. See, mission is not primarily our work. You and I cannot save the world by our own strength. Only God can do that through the gospel. But God graciously uses us as instruments for his work to proclaim his life-giving message. We should not be foolish enough in thinking that simply giving people platitudes or plates of food can solve the problems of this world. Our love cannot save the world. Only God's love can do that. Only by our love for people and telling them their need for Jesus can we radically change our city, our country, our world. Good social policy is helpful in mitigating the effects of the fall, in uh, kind of curbing the reigning in, reigning in sin and creating a more just and fair world. But these things will never deal with the real problem of sin and evil in this world. But there's another aspect of our, our mission uh, apart from proclaiming the gospel, and that's what we talked about before of making disciples because implicit in our mission is a call to repent and believe the gospel. Implicit is in the gospel is in... Sorry, it involves turning away from this world, turning away from the idols of this world and becoming a follower and learner of Jesus. What I mean by this is that the gospel is so radical that it changes the very trajectory of your life, of history, from rejecting God to obeying Him and walking by the Spirit with Him. Learning what this means may take you a lifetime. But this is the work of discipleship and what we should help others to do. So how does the gospel shape our mission? Well, firstly, as I've been saying, the gospel is the priority. Our mission flows out of that. If we take mission to be our priority and gospel to be secondary, then we'll try and make mission all about us and what we can do. But mission can only be successful when it's about Jesus and what he has done. J.D. Greer, who's a senior pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in America, uh, the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, he writes, Everything in the Christian life grows out of the gospel. Thus, the deeper you and your people go in the gospel, the higher you will soar in the mission. When we learn more about the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ, when we learn more about the grace that God offers us. This love captures our hearts and it compels us to tell others of this good news. It's because what we do shape, sorry, who we are shapes what we do. Therefore, if we are gospel-shaped people, if our identity is in Christ, then that should flow out of who we are and, and grip our heart and make us tell people about Jesus. We need to remember and remind the world that there is something worse than death and there's something better than human flourishing. If our only hope is for renewed cities and restored bodies in this life, then we are of all people are most to be pitied. But the gospel frees us from the sting of death and establishes us in a new relationship with God through which we have eternal life. Praise be to God. Secondly, the gospel frees us from trying to do everything, as I said before. It frees us from the guilt of trying to save the world by ourselves, knowing that God is in control and he is the saviour. This gives us comfort knowing that you can't screw up 
the mission. It's not about you. You don't have to say exactly the right words. You don't have to be guilty about missing every opportunity to share the gospel. For God works even through our weakest attempts. If we are Christ-focused people lifting high the cross, then our love for him and our love for others will grow exponentially as we understand more and more about his love for us. Then our mission will flow organically out of who we are and out of our love for him. And mission is no longer than a burden, but it's something we love to do because we love the people that he's called us to preach to. We will see people as those who need Jesus and who desperately need salvation. Thirdly, the gospel transforms us by the power of the Holy Spirit into children of God. The reason why I say that is because our witness is not just through words but through deed as well, through action. It's through the living out of our lives as witnesses to the power of the gospel that we proclaim the gospel. The gospel frees us from false idols of pride, of autonomy, of success, of self-loathing, of fear, of control and happiness. And as we live out this gospel, we witness to the world that there is another story. There's a better narrative going on, a better narrative than self-fulfillment and self-gratification. As we live out our faith, this necessarily means we will care for others. For we're given a vision of them that is greater than the world's vision. A vision of their worth displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now I'll try and talk about this more in the coming weeks. But essentially the gospel, the cross and resurrection of God is God's seal of approval on humanity. It shows the extent of his love and what he's willing to give up how much he thinks of us. Now to bring it to a conclusion, in 2017, a Barna Group report said that the Birmingham, Aniston, Tuscaloosa area is the second most Bible-minded city in the USA, with 49% of our city being Bible-minded. What that means is that people read the Bible at least once a week. Now, you might think that Birmingham, everyone's in church. We don't need to do any mission. Everyone's going to church. I mean, you can just tell by how many people we had at the nine. Wait, they're all at the lake house, sorry. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that just there's only 49% of people in church or people who are Bible-minded. That's roughly, uh, sorry, with a population of 1.5 million of that area, that means there's about 750,000 unbible-minded people. That is our mission field. Everyone, every one of those 750,000 people needs to hear the gospel. Our mission is ju- not just to those who live in a g- different culture to us, but it's our neighbours. It's the people who live in your house. It's the people who live on your street. It's the people who live in your city. It's the people who live in all of the world. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. So let me conclude with a word of the gospel from Ephesians to 8 to 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. By the grace of God, this gospel has come to you. May God's love grip you so deeply that you long to share it with others that they might hear the good news and be saved.
Any questions? Give you a little minute to stew on all that I've said. You used a term that I'm not familiar with. What is incarnational mission? Yeah, great question. Uh, it's a buzzword, basically, that says we need to embody uh, kind of the same attitude that Christ had of going into the places of that we want to do mission. So instead of doing mission from the sidelines, we need to come out of our holy huddle and go into the mission field. So go to kind of the slums in the city or the, the mission. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's kind of an embodying kind of thing where we, we take ourselves to the places that need to hear the gospel. Did you want to say something, Andrew? Dan's got a question. You feel more comfortable in the holy huddle. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be stretched to go out. I mean, I have to really push myself to yeah. do it. And I, I need to say that I am no great evangelist. Being a minister of the gospel does not mean that you are the best at everything, but it means you read the word full time and teach others about it. So I, I, my main goal is that you don't feel guilty about doing mission, but that you are free to go and do mission. If I understood you correctly, you said 49% attend church in this area. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you know if that's an increasing percentage? Because basically the rest of the world, the percentage of people attending church is, descend, is going down. So the question was, do I know if it's a descending number or not? I can only assume it is. I haven't done any of the research. I just looked at this one report. Um, I know in Australia it would be maybe 30%. Um, and that might be a high estimate. Um, someone else might have better stats than I do. Yeah. Or a, yeah, it, or a is, it is a descending number, and precipitously so. Uh, and uh, just two questions for you, uh, Mike. One, uh-huh. in light of those statistics, that means that the Advent, uh, in light of its average Sunday attendance, is reaching 0.18% of the population. Uh, and yet... By any other measure, most people would say, oh, but the Advent is doing so well. So one, why are churches so satisfied to reach such a small proportion, which leads to the second question. Why is it that in the history of the church, the greatest impediment to gospel-centeredness and gospel-shapedness is the church itself? Um, You see that in the Wesleyan revivals where Wesley had to go outside the structures of the church. Saw it in the East African revival with people having to go uh, sort of in the face of uh, the church authorities in order uh, to get the gospel out. And so why do we find ourselves so satisfied with reaching a very small percentage of the population? And why is it, do you think, that the church is the most antagonistic to gospel ministry? I mean, that's a, that's a strong claim of being the most antagonistic, but I get what you're trying to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can only give you anecdotal evidence and thoughts. Uh, I think what Dan was saying is we like the holy huddle. We like being in a church that is like-minded and with like people. And uh, the more people, more people, more problems, right? More, mo- more money, more problems. Um, so the more people are there, the more people that will disagree, more people that you get emails from, all those sorts of things. So I think... Yeah, do you have to well, say? 
it must be that the churches are being led by men instead of Jesus Christ. That's that's part of it. Yeah. Know. Maybe David should come up here and teach. Coffee's got a question or a comment. Not so much a question, but a comment as to why there's such a failure to read the Bible and to follow the gospel. Yeah. In a way, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. We make it difficult in our own minds and in our own setting to read the Bible and to understand it. The mission statement that we that you stated, thankfully, is one which I can subscribe to because it's clear, concise, and it's not a page and a half long with wherefores and therefores and why nots and this, that, and the other. It reminds me very much of a mission statement I saw years ago at the Alabama Air National Guard. Our mission is to fly and fight, and don't you forget it. <laughs> and that's that sometimes, to me, encapsulates how we should read the Bible and treat our mission in life. Let's don't Let's don't try to make it so complicated that it's impossible to accomplish. Yeah. As a, as a Sydney ordinand, I must say that we get caught up building a trellis. We get caught up wanting to do ministries uh, and make sure that people are supporting our ministries. And so we get the cart before the horse. What we need to be focusing on is the people and making sure our ministries are working for the people rather than our people working for the ministries. So that's one thing. Um. I think another reason that, the, as you described it, the holy huddle is so comfortable is we don't have to stand up and say, here am I, send me. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that was a convicting sermon for you all. <laughs> well done. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the way that you have saved us and brought us into your family. We ask that you would grow your love for us in our heart, that we might be so gripped by it that we would tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to put up our hand and say, send me. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.